Today we're beginning a new series on the book Haggai. A small two-chapter prophetic book. There's other books that are written around and concerning the same type time period as is Haggai. Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zechariah. Last year, in the summer, we spent like 12 weeks on Nehemiah, and now we're going to look at Haggai, which actually happens before in history, Nehemiah. All four of these books are about the people of Judah who went into exile. The, the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed, and the Babylonians carried them off as prisoners of war, essentially, into their own land to live in their own land. And 60 years passed. 60 years passed before, in the book of Ezra, this happened. The first year of King Cyrus of Persia, so there's a new empire in charge, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, another prophet, the Lord moved in the heart of Cyrus, the king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also to put in writing. This is what Cyrus, the king of Persia, says, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me, the king of Persia, to build a temple for him at Jerusalem. And what happens is, this occupying king of these people that were formerly prisoners of war, essentially, living in a different country as refugees, now says that the God of these people wants him to build a temple to the Lord. And so, a little bit later, in the second month of the second year after their arrival at the house of God in Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, and the rest of the people, the priests and the Levites, and all who had returned from the captivity in Jerusalem began work. They all be began the work of the Lord to rebuild his temple, the one that had been destroyed, the one that was majestic, the one that Solomon had originally built for the Lord. So with that in mind, we're going to go to the book of Haggai. That's going to be the third to last book in the Old Testament. It might be like one page or two pages in your Bible. If you grab a black Bible, it's going to be page 769, I believe. And we're going to read all of chapter 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. This is what the Lord says to these people. The time has not yet come to build the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through prophet Haggai. Is it a time for yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains in ruins? Now this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvest little. You eat 
but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put clothes on, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expect much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own houses. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and on the mountains and on the grain, the wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces on people and livestock and on all the labors of your hand. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. Might have broke it this time. So, when we begin this passage, uh, if you want to help me out, Justin, I think I broke this thing. Um, oh, maybe it's going to work. Uh, you can notice there's a different king. It used to be a guy named Cyrus. Now it's a guy named Darius. Cyrus, in the book of Ezra, sent the people to go build the Lord's temple. And yet now, we read about the second year of King Darius, and, and we may wonder what happened. Well, 18 years happened. 18 years from the time Ezra said, all right, you can go build the temple. 16 years from that passage in Ezra 3, where they actually began the work on the temple, have passed. And now if you're familiar with building projects, uh, there's this thing that happens that we've become pretty familiar with. Uh, it's called cost overruns. It's called delays. That your projected date of having something built doesn't always happen because something happens, maybe, maybe COVID happens and you can't get materials. And then everything happens to be delayed. Maybe a factory is shut down for a little while and, and you can't finish something. Uh, a couple of months ago, I was building a chicken coop. And if you would go out and look at the chicken coop, you would notice, and maybe you wouldn't, 
you would notice that there's some trim missing. And I looked all around. I looked at Menards and Lowe's and Home Depot, and every single place was out of this LP smart side three and a half inch trim. Well, I come to find out the factory was shut down for a couple weeks. We're used to these things, these delays. And you would think that after 16 years of working on a building project, after 16 years of the people, the remnant, working hard, that it would be finished. And yet, what we find out in this passage is is it's not finished. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the temple. Even though that was their entire purpose for coming back, the purpose that Cyrus, the king of Persia, gave them was go back and build the temple. And yet, A decade and a half has passed, and the people still think the time has not yet come. The people are allowing other things to occupy all their time. Verse 4 gives us perhaps an idea. Oh, never mind. That is not where it was. It says, then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. It is time for yourselves to be living in paneled houses while this house remains in ruins. They were concerned with their own things. It's like they arrived back at Jerusalem and said, yeah, Lord, I'm going to build the temple, but I'm not going to live in a tent while I do it. I need to first, everybody, I need to get my house in order. I need to get my things all squared away. And then after I get my things squared away and I'm comfortable in living in my house, then I'll be energized and ready to work on your house, Lord. But what happened is they build their own houses out of timber, their paneled houses, And then something else came up. They said, well, the time is not yet to build the Lord's temple. The time is to, to build my garden, to find a sustainable food source for my family. i got to focus on my things before we start focusing on what the Lord wants us to do. So they start building their garden. They start figuring out, ways that they can have food for their family. And then, and then they figure that out, or, or maybe they're toiling at it, and it's not quite working out, and they're thinking, the time has not yet come for me to build the temple. I'm, I'm just so exhausted because my crops aren't growing, and, and things aren't going the way that I thought it was going to be. All the people worried about their, their own things, managing their own day-to-day work, saying, I can't begin work on the temple. I already have 
enough things that are draining in my life. I, I can't do it. Time after time, for 16 years, people prioritize themselves instead of the Lord. Give careful thought to your ways, the Lord says. Verse 6, it says, you've planted much but harvested little. They worked hard on that garden. They worked hard to, to grow crops in those fields, and they've harvested little. The little that they've harvested, they eat, and yet somehow it's, it's never enough. They drink, and they never have. They fill. They put on clothes, but they're always cold. And they earn wages, and yet somehow they seem to disappear. Consider all of your ways. Give careful thought to what you do. The Lord, focusing in on their lives, showing them that they somehow seem to be unconcerned with God and His glory, with obedience to what they've been commanded to do. And he says, since you've been concerned with your own things, you're going to labor a lot and remain unfulfilled. You're going to work really hard but never feel like you have enough. Though your effort and work seems to somehow increase your exhaustion and the result of the fruit of your labor somehow the result just decreases. And the Lord says, give careful thought. Give careful thought to your ways. Consider how you are being built up and empowered for what you do. I think that invitation to give careful thought to our ways is not just something that was given to the remnant that returned to Jerusalem, but it's an invitation for all of us to give careful thought to all of our ways. What happens when we begin to consider all the different facets of our life? We can reflect on relationships. The relationships that we currently have with friends and family, the relationships that we somehow no longer have. We reflect on perhaps our emotional well-being. We reflect on our vocation and the things that the Lord has called us to do or maybe the things that we choose to do instead. We reflect on our health, our educational pursuits. We reflect on perhaps even our environmental consciousness. We reflect on our, our creativity and the hobbies that we pursue. As a whole, we can reflect on our time and how it is that we're using our time, whether we're using our time focusing in on ourselves. 
focusing in on, on a close group of people around us or maybe, maybe focusing in our time on, on others and care for others within our community and city. We have the opportunity to reflect on the person of Jesus Christ. How we represent Christ in all these other areas of our life. We can reflect and and consider and give careful thought to all the decisions that have been made throughout all of our life. All the, the paths that we have chosen. I wonder what the result is of all that reflection. I'm, I'm sure you weren't able to process everything in your life in the last two seconds or the last two minutes. But as a result of our reflecting, we would be made aware, just like the people of Jerusalem were made aware, of where it is and who is at the center of our time, of our money, of our lives. You know, you can see a lot about what someone values by how they use their finances or how they prioritize work or health or family or friends or hobbies. It's all part of that story of our life that proclaims to others what we truly value. Perhaps for some of us, for actually for many of us, we prioritize family. Sometimes elevating family as more important than God. Family is one of those idols that, that so often goes unnoticed and unchecked. Perhaps our primary focus is friends. Our primary focus is work. When we're given the opportunity to work more or be with family, we choose the, well, I have so much stuff to do at my job. I need to be there. Perhaps, though, in other ways, it's on giving and serving other people, giving to others of our time. Perhaps it could be that we are, are focusing in on God's kingdom and how we can be of service to Him. Give careful thought to your ways. Can consider all the ways that, that your life is painting a story of your priorities. When the people of Jerusalem gave careful thought to their ways, there was a response of obedience to the Lord. They accepted God's invitation to change their focus from being focused on their own homes and their own things to being focused on God's kingdom in the rebuilding of his temple. We see We see how God gives grace here in the Old Testament. How instead of leaving the people to their own ways, he he chose to graciously come in and say, consider your ways, consider your priorities, and reorient yourself to me. 
And now, God is saying, now reorient your lives to the rebuilding of this temple, this thing that you were commissioned to do 18 years ago, this thing that remains in, in ruins, bricks, in stones lying on the ground, reorient yourself to me. Now is the time to rebuild the temple. Now is the time to restore this house from its ruin. Now is the time to say yes to God and no to yourself. And when the people obey the word of the Lord, the, the following happens in verse 14. The Lord stirs up the spirit of the governor. The Lord stirs up the spirit of the high priest. And the Lord stirs up the spirit of all of the people that had returned to Jerusalem. And because of the Lord's spirit stirring in them, they once again begin their work. They're energized to action working not for their own glory, working not for their own name, working not for their own things, but working for the glory of God. What was once that feeling of hopelessness, of never having enough to eat, of never having our fill, of never having anything of substance, has changed by way of the Lord's Spirit stirring within them, stirring obedience within them. And the Lord, He wants to stir in your spirit too. Maybe you felt the Lord stirring within you, stirring you to more obedience. Maybe you've, you've felt the Lord pushing you in energizing you for the, the next thing that he's going to bring your way. The thing is, no matter where our priorities were before, no, no matter what they were, they, they could have been like the Israelites, they could have been on our own things, the Lord gives an invitation of obedience to us. He says, I give you my grace and I want to give you my spirit stirring within you, energizing you, Inviting you to, to be a part of, of my kingdom that lives not for ourselves, but for his glory, for his honor. It doesn't require masonry skills and the ability to build a temple because the Lord says that you, you already are his temple and he's ready to reside in each one of us by the power of his spirit making you his temple, strengthening and empowering you for the journey here on this earth, giving you peace where all there was was restlessness and worry, inviting all of us to say no to ourselves and to say yes to the Lord. Yes, Lord, I, I want to work for your kingdom and not my own. I want to work for your kingdom. Here in this place, here in this community, 
is, Lord, we seek to, to live out your mission for us as we live for you, not ourselves. As we love our neighbors and community and as we lead people not to ourselves, not for our glory, not to what we have done, but as we lead people to you, the one who saves, the one who empowers, and the one who gives us your mission. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you for this word. We thank you also for the invitation for us to not let these words just fly in one ear and out the other, but as we take them as an invitation, an invitation throughout this week to consider our ways, to give careful thought to each thing that we put on our schedule, and to ask ourselves, who is this for? Who am I doing this for? to reflect, and then to accept your grace and work for your kingdom and your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.